This is exciting. A little scary, but exciting. The message I got is called Trust in the Lord. I think we've heard that before. And the verse I got is Proverbs 3, verse 5 and 6, where it says, and I've got the New Living Version that I'm reading from. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all that you do and he will show you which path to take. I don't need this. <laughs> now, how does a person live this way? We find a really good example of living and trusting the Lord with, uh, in the book of Job. And I'd just like to read chapter 1, verses 8 to 22. Um, then the Lord asked Satan, Have you noticed my servant Job? He's the finest man in all the earth. He is blameless, a man of complete integrity. He fears God and stays away from evil. Satan replied to the Lord, Yes, but Job has good reason to fear God. You've always put a wall of protection around him and his home and his property, and you have made him prosper in everything he does. And look how rich he is but reach out and take away everything he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. All right, you may test him, the Lord said to Satan. Do whatever you want with everything he possesses, but don't harm him physically. So Satan left the Lord's presence. One day, when Job's sons and daughters were feasting at the oldest brother's house, the messenger arrived at Job's home with this news. Your oxen were plowing with the donkeys feeding beside them. When the Sabians raided us, they stole all the animals, killed all the farmhands. I am the only one who escaped to tell you this. And while he was still speaking, another messenger arrived with this news. The fire of God has fallen from heaven and burned up your sheep and all the shepherds, and I am the only one who escaped to tell you. And while he was still speaking... A third messenger arrived with this news. Three bands of Chaldean raiders have stolen your camels, killed your servants, and I am the only one who escaped to tell you. And then the big news comes. While he was still speaking, another messenger arrived with this news. Your sons and your daughters were feasting in their oldest brother's home. Suddenly a powerful wind swept in from the wilderness, hit the house on all sides, the house collapsed, and your children are all dead. I am the only one who escaped to tell you this. Job stood up and tore his robe in grief, and then he shaved his head and fell to the ground to worship. And he said, I came naked from my mother's womb, and I will be naked when I leave. And the Lord gave me what I had, and the Lord has taken it away. Praise the name of the Lord. And in all of this, Job did not sin by blaming God. Uh, as we read, things got very bad for Job, and he was full of grief. grief. <laughs> and, but he didn't sin. He didn't blame God. And then it got worse. Satan goes back to God and gets permission to touch Job's health as well. And in chapter 2, 6 to 10, we read, All right, 
Do with him as you please, the Lord said to Satan, but spare his life. So Satan left the Lord's presence, and he struck Job with terrible boils from head to foot. Job scraped his skin with a piece of broken pottery as he sat among the ashes, and his wife said to him, Are you still trying to maintain your integrity? Curse God and die. But Job replied, You talk like a foolish woman. Should we accept only good things from the hand of God and never anything bad? So in all this, Job never said anything wrong. And he still trusted God, even when his friends tried to comfort him and um, actually tried to solve his problem for him. And they did a miserable job at it. And probably because they weren't having open ears to what God was telling them either. They were doing it from their own understanding. Um, And after this, Job listens to all these friends and he still comes up with, God might kill me, but I have no other hope. Basically, he trusts God in every single situation. He puts his complete trust in him. And that's how we're called to live. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do and he will show you which path to take. And that's one of those total commitment passages. All, all, and all. That means trusting the Lord and um, not just looking to your own intelligence. And, And that last sentence where it says, Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. It's like, you want to hear God? You want to know which path to take? Well, then seek his will in all you do. Now, um, I had a hard time learning this, and I'm still learning it. And I know I'm still learning it because when I do those Emmanuel sessions, one of the big messages God gives to me like pretty well all the time is, Trust me. Now, there's things that get in the way of trusting him. There's pride. There's distraction. There's apathy. Um, So when you're seeking him and trusting him with all your heart, uh, there might be these things that get in the way. And the good news is that um, he can work in us. And he's been working in me. And there was this one big problem that I had. It was a stronghold problem. And it was keeping me from hearing him at all. And that's the thing with strongholds. If you're in a stronghold, you're inside, and you don't even recognize what's happening or what's wrong. You're just just there, stuck in this place. And you're the last one to recognize this thing. Well, my problem was uh, self-righteousness. I was in this self-righteous stronghold. And I'm not a theologian, but I think Job was kind of in some self-righteousness too. If you read the rest of the book, and you'll see how God dealt with that. And he dealt with me as well. And it started, I think I gave him permission when I said, purify me. Now, yeah it's a very dangerous prayer you want some excitement in your life just say purify me lord 
um, I've done this a few times in my life, and it gets messy, but this first time was really, really messy. Um, God can totally get on board with this kind of prayer. (laughs) He's right there. So I asked him to purify me, and for years since then, I'd been thinking, um, God gave me a stone. I realized he was purifying me, but I was really kind of resenting the fact that he gave me a stone. I'll let you judge for yourself. I'll give you the whole story. About 25 years ago, when I was about 40 years old, living the good Christian life, I'd put my dress on on Sunday and go to church twice. And I love God to the best of my ability, and I um, love my husband as best I could. I was reading my Bible cover to cover, like, take a year, read the Bible. Did my devotions, prayed. I had a notebook full of prayers. You know, you write the prayer, and then you leave a blank spot for the answer. Well, the answer that I wanted, I would write that in when it came. (laughs) But one of my prayers was, purify me. And if you were around about 25 years ago, which a lot of you were, um, you'll remember that that was about the time of the renewal, revival at the Toronto Blessing. And um, there was also renewal here in the church. Uh, Anyway, I didn't know about this church 25 years ago, but I hear that was true. Uh, My friend Dinah, who went to the airport church, that was her church, she kept inviting me to come. She invited me about five different times. And her and her husband came over to our place, and they were telling us how spiritually alive they were since they've been there and just how wonderful God was and just how, he, how everything was more meaningful. Um, I didn't want to go. I knew that that's where they prayed in tongues and they did other wacky stuff and I didn't need any of that stuff. Anyway, I didn't want to get into that. I, I had my box, you know, my Calvinist box where God did what I expected him to do and he was who I was taught that he was. And sure, he did all those amazing things. I, I knew that. I'd read the Bible. He, he raised people from the dead. He was, he was amazing. He did all this good stuff. But Jesus did all this stuff so he could prove he was God. And then he died and rose again and saved me from my sins. And now I could obey all the rules. And he would be coming back to get me. And I didn't, he didn't need to do this stuff anymore. That was my theology, and I was sticking to it. And I wasn't going to go to some place where they were going to tell me it wasn't that way. So, But I had asked God to purify me. And so he was working on that. And he chased me with my friend Dinah. (laughs) And then he nudged me with my husband, who said, I told, I told Dave, I said, you know, I really don't want to go there. I'm not going. When Dinah invites me, I'm not going. And he said, well, Marion, anything that could get me closer to God, I'm for that. And I'm thinking, okay. <laughs> anyway, the final push came from my pastor, my good Calvinist pastor. 
who thought about it a long time and prayerfully considered it and said to us, I don't think any of you people should be going to that places like the airport vineyard. You should stay with the mainstream. We're solid. We're good. Well, that got my back up. (laughs) This pastor, who was sincere, was dissing my friend's church. How could he do that? I'd have to straighten him out. How could I straighten him out without going there? I'd had to go there. And when you know what, that very afternoon, Diana phones me up again. Marion, I'm going to the airport this afternoon. Would you like to come? I said, yeah, I'm coming. And so there I was at the airport listening to the message. And it was a good message. It, was, it, was, it fit my theology. It was about the kingdom. And we're living the kingdom now. Uh, between when Jesus first came and when he's coming again, we're living in the kingdom. We have to live it out. And I knew that. It was true. I said amen. But not out loud. We didn't do that. <laughs> and then there was prayer time. And now, if any of you were there, at prayer time, push all the chairs to the side. Great big long room. Uh, duct tape all the way in strips up and down, and we stand on these lines to pray, to wait for prayer. And I'm in this row, and Dinah's over here, and this team comes along and says, open her ears, open her heart, open her eyes to see. And I'm going, amen, that's a good prayer. Then the next team comes by, and they pray for Dinah, And she falls on the floor. And she's laughing. And I'm just standing here. And they say, you want that too? I said, what, what? (laughs) Prophetic intercession. And I'm scratching my head. I don't know what that is. Prophetic intercession. I say, what are are you saying? Um, Prayer. God gives you a prayer and you pray it. Prophetic intercession for other people. I said, great, I like that. You can pray that. So they prayed that for me. And I fell down. And I was laughing. And laughing. And laughing. For at least half an hour, I was laughing on the floor. And then my life had changed. That was a big bang beginning of the purification process. And a lot of things had left me. The grass was greener. The snow was whiter. Life was better. It was, and I wanted to pray. I wanted to pray all the time. In fact, I did pray all the time. I went home, and I prayed all day. I didn't really have time to eat. Dave would say, eat. I said, no, i got to pray. I'd sleep for an hour, and then I'd pray some more. i pray all night. I did this for three days praying night and day. As you probably know, I was a wreck after three days. And Dave tried to straighten me up a little bit, but I wouldn't listen. I knew better. I could pray because I had it in me to pray. Uh, Well, he says, "Um, Karen's at youth group right now. Would you go pick her up? And I said, sure, I'll do that. He was trying to get me like a little distracted maybe. 
Um, I knew she was on Sawmill Road somewhere in the country at the youth group leader's place, but I didn't remember the address. So I was driving out there. And, you know, after three day, nights of not sleeping, you're not quite thinking too sensibly. So I, I'm coming down these roads and I'm praying, Trinity Road. I pray Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. <laughs> book Road. That's the book, yes. I pray for Baptist Church Road. I pray for all the Baptist people. Um, I finally find Sawmill Road. I don't know which way to turn. I don't know where the house is. I don't know. Oh, maybe I should just pray all night. Maybe I should just drive around the country and pray all night. That's what I'll do. So that's what I did. I, and then when I got back the next morning, finally found my way back home, there was cars in the driveway and the whole living room was full of people and they were all worried about me. They sent me up to bed and I had this vision of us going up to a mountaintop and it was a big performance thing and I said, let the show begin. And then they put me in this psychiatric hospital (laughs) Um, where they prescribed lithium. And when I got out, I had a year's prescription of lithium and I was thinking, my life is over. This is so dull. You know, they just, uh, I got to see a Christian psychiatrist that Dinah had arranged for me to see because the people at the airport were feeling a little responsible for my situation. <laughs> and now this guy was able to straighten me out a little bit. He, he said, Marion, you cannot live in the spiritual realm with your physical body. You need to eat and you need to sleep. You need your feet on the ground. And I said, yeah, that sounds right. (laughs) He says, when you don't sleep, you start into delusional thinking. Okay, so he got me straightened out on that. And then I prayed during the day and slept during the night and ate my meals and things were going good. Um. But what a difference with reading the Bible. I could see it with my spiritual eyes open. And there was things that I had never understood before in the Bible that were making a lot more sense. Like the fact that spirit and the soul are two different entities. I didn't know that. When I read the Bible, knowing that, things were a a lot more clear. But still, I had this niggling resentment that God had given me a stone. You know that place in Matthew 7 where it says, your parents, you parents, if your children ask for a loaf of bread, do you give them a stone instead? How much more will your heavenly father give good gifts for those who ask him? Now, I asked him to purify me, and I go off the deep end. Sounds like a stone to me. Like Job, I didn't understand what God was doing, but I also knew his wisdom was higher than my wisdom, so I stuck with him, even if he did give me what appeared to be a stone. Then one day, as I'm going about my usual business, praying in tongues, picking up the kids from school, uh, God called me out, and he convicted me. I was a whitewashed sepulcher, a hypocrite. 
who had built her house on the sand. All that time while I was being a good Calvinist, and even while I was learning to walk in the Spirit, I had maintained my self-righteous attitude. I was locked inside that stronghold thinking of being, okay, I was a good person. I was really good. I didn't deserve a stone. But it wasn't a stone that he'd given me. It was a stone that I was carrying around. It was my self-righteousness that I was carrying around. And how could I hear him clearly if I thought I was the one that was good enough for this? And like Job, I realized my own righteousness wasn't worth anything. And, and we see uh, Job spends about 35 chapters arguing with his friends and defending himself before God, and God challenges him with his much superior attitude. And Job says to God in uh, chapter 42, you said, listen, and I will speak. I have some questions for you, and you must answer them. I had only heard about you before, but now I have seen you with my eyes, and I take back everything I said and sit in dust and ashes to show my repentance. Like Job, my only hope was in God, and I realized in my heart, not just in my head, without a doubt, my only righteousness was the righteousness of Jesus, who alone is sinless, and his righteousness is my rock. And on this, I could build my house. And I could trade my stone of self-righteousness in for that rock that I could build my church on, my, my house on. And God had to show me this. And I, I did write a poem about it. And um, I'll just read that to you. It's called Psalm 51, as it happened to me. And in Psalm 51, there's this verse that says, Purify me from my sins, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Oh, give me back my joy again. You've broken me. Now let me rejoice. So this is, this is what I wrote after I'd gone through a lot of this junk. When I asked the Lord to purify me, the thought of pain didn't occur until I couldn't sleep. Confusing, wicked schemes whirled through my head all night. Without love, joy, or peace, I went to a friend's house and accused her of nonsense. Patience, kindness, and goodness escaped me. Faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control were impossible. I went to the doctor. He gave me pills to dull my brain. Friends tried to comfort me. My pastor prayed. I went to Christian counselors. The Holy Spirit showed them the garbage I was carrying around. They commanded away wrong spirits, too numerous and filthy to mention. I went home. I knew there wasn't a single thing I could do that would make God say, that's my girl, isn't she good? I questioned why he would even want my worship. I saw all my prayers tainted with sin. I cried. I felt so dirty. I was broken. Then, for the first time I knew, really knew in my spirit, not just in my mind, Jesus is my only righteousness. My joy is coming back. Which brings me back to trust. Once his righteousness became foundation for my life, I could truly trust him with all my heart. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. 
Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. As long as I was leaning on my own understanding and my own idea of how righteous I was, I wasn't seeking him in all I did. You know, I thought I knew good from evil. I knew mostly which path to take. The good one, of course. But his way is higher. What might look like the obvious good and right thing might not be it at all. We have to always be listening to his Holy Spirit. And we can't do this from a self-righteous place. Um, or, or there might be some other sin that we cling to that's keeping us from hearing his word. Uh, there could be worry or lust or judgmentalism. Any of these things can get in the way of hearing him clearly. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not depend on your own understanding. His way is higher. For example, this past Thursday to Saturday, we had this prayer time, prayer and fasting, and we were really encouraged to fast. Now, I like fasting when the Lord tells me to fast. It, it just, it's just so, the reward is so good. I, the process is not so great, but the reward is so good. And I thought, I asked him, I said, what should I fast from and when should I fast? And I'm getting all excited about it. And he says, fast from fasting. <laughs> Could that really be you, Lord? You know, like, that sounds like a, a cheap way to get out of it. Fast from fasting. So I asked him several times, and I got the same answer. Fast from fasting. So I decided, well, listening is better than not listening. And I told him, if I got this wrong, you'll have to make sure you tell me, because then I can get down to the business of fasting. So anyway, I fasted from fasting, and even when Dave started fasting from food, <laughs> and I wouldn't have had to cook except that I was fasting from fasting, then that Thursday afternoon, Marion calls me, and she said, um, you know, God just put you on my heart as someone I should ask to um, maybe do a sermon sometime. And I said, well... I, I I could do that, but I really don't have anything to say. I don't have anything to say. There's nothing, no passion, nothing that I want to tell anybody. So she life coached me out of that plan. <laughs> and she's really good. If you want to get up here and speak, she'll life coach you right to this place. Um, so then on Friday, she phones me again, and she says, well... You know, Pastor Bob in the hospital. Could you be ready by Sunday? <laughs> I said, um, yeah, okay. <laughs> so I, I, I just want to say God's wisdom is higher than mine because I wouldn't have had the energy like he gave me what to say, and I was writing it all down in rough, and I had that when she phoned back on Friday, and I know I wouldn't have done that if I was fasting. I would have just been praying and um, you know thinking about food a little bit and praying some more uh, his ways are higher and he really did tell me to fast from fasting and this is the result 
uh, knowing this, that his ways are so much higher than our ways, brings peace in all circumstances. And I don't have to figure out how a thing is going to work. We just have to trust his more superior wisdom. And that's really helped us through the time when Linda was in the cult. That's Linda, our daughter. Uh, God's main message to Dave and I at that time was trust him. Now, as parents and with other parents of kids that were in that cult, we did all kinds of things. We were reasoning with them. We were visiting. We were challenging the way of life. We went to the city council and said, you know, there's this cult in the city and they aren't um, obeying the rules. They've got a, a restaurant that they're running and they don't have a license. And we went to Revenue Canada and said, you know, there's this church that's not really reporting their income. And we went to a deprogrammer and, and called her up to help us out. And then one of the families actually kidnapped their daughter out of the cult and got into a big problem. Like, got it. they got charged with kidnapping. And finally... Oh, and then we went in W5 and exposed the whole thing. And oh, it was a long process. Finally, Dave and I heard God say, just love her. And God, during this time when we're trying to just love her and let it be, um, God gave me a parable, like a living kind of parable, to help me trust him. And it happened, uh, same as before, I'm going about my business, picking up the kids from school, and it was like the last day of school before the holidays. So I take them to Tim Hortons, and we're sitting there, and we have our celebration of last day of school. And then I go home, and half an hour later, I go, where's my purse? I left my purse in Tim Hortons, hanging on the back of the chair. I, I could see it there. It was on the back of the chair, right where the people walk by when they're going to order their coffee. Like, you know, free money, you can get your coffee money here. Um, anybody could grab that. Oh, I got in the car. I prayed all the way back to Tim Hortons. I go, oh, Lord, take care of my purse. Take care of my purse. Let me get my purse back. And I get there, and there it is, hanging out there for anybody to grab. And I grabbed it. And nobody even noticed. And... Um, I thanked him all the way home. Lord, thank you for taking care of my purse. And he said, I heard him very clear. He said, I'm taking care of your daughter, Linda, just like I took care of that purse. And I hung on to that because that purse was invisible to the people around there. And my daughter could be invisible to, to whoever was trying to take advantage of her in that cult because, you know, they were arranging marriages in there. She could have married somebody who who was totally unsuitable. Um, and the leader guy, I was a little afraid of him, like he had some perverted ideas. Anyway, we stopped questioning her and just loved her. We invited her to all the family things, and sometimes she couldn't come, and sometimes we couldn't see her at Christmas until maybe a week later. All We had to abide by all the cult ideas of what they were supposed to be doing and when they were supposed to be doing it. But we stopped making a fuss about it and we just loved Linda whenever we got a chance to see her. And then a few years down the road, about four years ago, 
after 12 years in that cult, Linda phoned us and she said, I just have something to tell you. And we thought, oh no, what's happening? Marriage? <laughs> I don't know what's happening. Well, anyway, she's coming home. So she sits us down. She says, I'm leaving my church. <laughs> yeah. And um, <laughs> I tried to tone down my pure joy <laughs> at hearing this because I didn't want her to feel uh, exactly how bad it was in there. Anyway, God did it his way. And you know how he did it. You probably want to hear this. Uh, he, she went online to this online dating service. David kind of said, you know, you'd be a good mom. And um, have you ever tried that online dating stuff? And uh, so she had actually done that. And she uh, started chatting with this fella who said, you don't have to chat with me. I'm leaving for Australia, and I'll be gone for six months. And But that was really good, because here she is chatting back and forth with this guy, and he's got lots of time, because he's got a, a back injury, and he's recovering from, and he's babysitting his nephew. And he's got a lot of time to chat. And so she tells him about her church. And he goes online and listens to a sermon or two, and he says, uh, Linda... You know, I'm not going to stop you from going to that place, but I sure wouldn't go there. Well, that opened her eyes. She starts looking at this place with new eyes. And she needs some advice. He says, well, Linda, you can talk to another Christian about it and just see. Don't go to your parents. They're prejudiced about it. Um, So they come up with the fact that she can go to see his mom. And his mom lives in Georgetown, and she actually makes an appointment with his mom and goes to, to lunch with her. And, and uh, Linda comes to the conclusion that this is like something she should do. She should leave that church. And that's what she came to tell us. And she also came to tell us that she told the leadership there that she was leaving, and they said, you're out of here, so you have to move, because that was another thing. You're shunned as soon as you leave so she was out of a place to live, and could she maybe have her old room back for a little while? <laughs> we said yes. And then, now, she's happily married to Mike, and they have a two-year-old, almost two-year-old, and God is so good. And we had to listen to him to say, just love her through this. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you the path to take. And there's, I can leave you with a a little tip, a litmus test. At least this works for me. If I find myself worrying about something, or even doing a worrying kind of prayer, I just think, Lord, I trust you. Show me what path to take, and he will give you that path to take. And if you are having trouble hearing him, it could be because there's something in the way, something that needs purification. I know that's a dangerous kind of prayer to do, but it's really worth it, and you might go through lots of gunk, but it's worth going through the gunk. It really is. So if you're not hearing him clearly, ask him for some purification, and he'll do it. He'll do it. And um, there is a ministry time after now, and Dave and I happen to be the ministry people. Uh, so if you, if you want prayer or anything, just come on up.